You knew the risks when you decided to drive drunk. There could be a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But that didn't stop you, did it? You knew you could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses. And you could possibly even lose your job. You were well aware of the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You were wrong when you said it was no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. This message brought to you by NHTSA. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hey guys, good evening. It's Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and Finsider Radio is on the air. I'm your host, Kevin Ogle, managing editor of the Finsider. With me is my co-host, Chris Early. You guys know him as Duke. Duke, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Good, glad to hear that. And, of course, James is here, but we're already getting a phone call in, so James is uh, handling the producer side. So James McKinney, the one of the other editors on the site, is here also, so you'll hear his voice come on here sometime during the night. Uh, oh, he's back now. So, James, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. I was just introducing you and saying that you were handling the call. So tonight, obviously, the first thing that, or the two things that we really have to talk about the most are obviously a incredible win over the Patriots and getting ready to take on the Buffalo Bills. We're going to go backwards tonight on the timeline because we're going to start with the Bills because I'd like to welcome Brian from Buffalo Rumbling on the show if the system wants to let him in. Maybe. There it goes. Brian, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Good. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Congratulations on a uh, nice overtime win. The best part of the best part of your guys' win last was simply the fact that it did officially make the Patriots in last place all by themselves. <laughs> yeah, you gotta give you gotta give the Jets a little credit for that too. They they hung out against Oakland. Yeah, it's a nice feeling, isn't it, to know that we're all ahead of a past pulpit tonight? It's pretty sweet. It's a nice uh nice odd situation that uh I don't think any of us can remember the last time that happened. Yeah, I saw someone tweet it and it was something I didn't remember. It's it's been a long time and I'm just gonna savor it for as long as we can. <laughs> Uh, now they need to lose this week because obviously either the Bills, most likely the Bills, or the Dolphins are losing this week. So, uh, <laughs> but well, let's start off at the top with the Bills. How PJ Manuel looks, and how comfortable are you guys with? Him? Well, I don't, I don't know that the comfort level has changed at all after one game, but uh, it, it was helpful to know that you know he was he would look pretty bad in the preseason. And, uh, you know, we just kind of get to throw that out of the window now because he looked, you know, competent. He looked he looked pretty good. He made a few key throws, didn't make any big mistakes aside from one pick that didn't really hurt him in the long run. Um, he he was the quarterback that they need him to be consistently this season if they're going to make a push for a wild-card spot in the AFC. He, he's, he's a talented kid. Um, he was steady. He, he was in command of the offense. He was reading the defense well. And uh, you know he, he kept to the offense. He, he kept the offense afloat. Let them do what they needed to do to score enough points to win. And if he can do that, they'll be in pretty good shape this year. Continuing on with the offense look, obviously you have a two-headed monster at back Jude and with Freddie, but you guys have some good running backs behind them as well. And you got some guys coming up that are probably going to be pushing by the end of the year, I would think, for some big playing time. So are we in the end of Freddie Jackson or, say, a threat to C.J. Spiller? How are you guys handling the running back situation, and where do you think it will be weeks from now when the Dolphins are facing the Bills again? Do you think that it's still the same two guys, or do you think it will evolve over the time? Well, that will depend on, on how things progress on the injury front. Right now, everyone's healthy. 
So uh, Bryce Brown, the guy they picked up from the Eagles by a trade, he was inactive, a healthy scratch against the Bears. So they, they're rolling with Anthony Dixon as the third running back. He can play special teams, and he came in for a handful of snaps and had a 47-yard run against the Bears. But it is still uh, the Spiller and Jackson backfield. They they each played roughly 50%, Spiller uh, slightly over, and Jackson slightly under. They complement each other very well. Um, they, they seem to be expanding Spiller's role a bit. They're using him in the slot and on kick returns and things like that. So they're they're being smarter about how they're going to use those guys, and they have those options um, behind the, behind the two guys that have been here for three, four years now. Um, it, it's a good situation to be in. They have enviable depth back there, and uh, no, but, but when you get right down to it, it is still Spiller and Jackson. Spiller, who likes to gouge the Dolphins, so hopefully Miami will be able to uh, put a stop to them, stop to that fun-filled situation. Miami's run defense has looked really good building up towards the uh, first game, and then it actually looked really good against the Patriots, but everybody thinks the Patriots is a run or a pass person. So it'll be interesting with established guys like the Bills have seeing how well they, the Dolphins' defense pulled them back, especially given we're down at least one linebacker, probably two, depending on how Phillip Wheeler's uh, thumb is, is progressing. He was a limited in practice today, kind of the same thing he did all last week. So it may be another set of all-new linebackers out there behind our front four trying to stop a guy like Steve. So it'll be an interesting week. <clears throat> and sorry, uh, yeah. something to keep in mind with that is the fact that the Bills are very hard-headed in, in what they want to do offensively. They they led the league in the NFL last season in, in rush attempts per game. They were right at the 34 mark, which was one of the higher averages that we've seen in the NFL in a long time. And that was a 6-10 and 10 team that wasn't icing away many games late in the fourth quarter. They are going to run the football and, you know, succeed or fail, they're, they're going to get those those carries in. And they, they were right at that mark again. They carried 33 times against the Bears. So you're going to get to see a ton of a ton of running game from the Bills on, on Sunday, regardless of, of how Miami's defense looks. So, you know, they're going to make Buffalo's goal every week is to make them stop the run consistently for four quarters. So, yeah, those, those linebackers that you're talking about, whether it's banged up guys or the guys who are replacing them, they're going to be tested early and often on Sunday. Well, that should be fun. Um, I'm going to let Duke get in a couple questions here in just a second, but it's an off-the-field thing, but I know there's been drama with uh, the coaching staff and the front office in Buffalo. Looking at it from the outside, I think it's a lot more overblown than it really is. I think it's all the guys want to do the right thing. They want to do the, They want to succeed, but obviously Doug Marone is—he's hard-headed, and that's a good thing for a coach. But that—that's how I see it. It's just he wants to do things his way, and sometimes they butt heads. And if I—if I'm correct on this, they got into an argument in front of reporters, and that just blew it all up. Is that—is that how you're reading it? Is it more overblown than what it really is? Well, well, that event you mentioned, the it was uh, it was Doug Marone and Doug Whaley, the GM, and Russ Brandon, the the team president and CEO, who is in charge of the whole operation. Those are the three guys that were arguing uh, during it was just a preseason practice at Orchard Park. Um, they were all standing in front of reporters. It was while the players were warming up, so it was in front of the players as well. And that was sort of the glimpse that we saw uh, into that whole situation. And that was a couple of weeks, like a week and a half, I guess, before. The, the Jason Lock and Fora uh, report came out last weekend. Um, really, I think, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's just a situation where they're all trying to figure out the best way to end their playoff drought. It's been 14 years and counting. And, uh, you know, once in a while they, they run into situations where, you know, their backup quarterbacks are garbage in the preseason and they need to sign Kyle Orton and there's – you know, political ramifications with the starter for doing that, and they just need to iron these things out. It would be cool if they did it behind closed doors, and I think that's kind of probably what they're aiming for at this point. But uh, if there was angst, it was probably stemming from the uncertainty with the ownership situation, and now the team's been sold. Uh, they're going to stay in Buffalo. So, you know, everyone's pretty chill up there this week, and, uh, you know, we're looking forward to Sunday. 
So uh, Jason LaCanfora is blowing things out of proportion. Who ever thought that would happen? Um, yeah, no, rare, rare thing to happen, I know. right? But Duke, anything you want to talk Phil's wise? Yeah, I have a, a question about um, um, Sammy Watkins. Uh, Bills kind of made the probably the second biggest splash of the first round uh, by trading up and trading the future first away for um, Sammy Watkins. Uh, I personally am not a big fan of trading up for anything but a quarterback. So, I, and I know he's you know a lot of the reporters are saying he looks like the real deal. He didn't get a lot of reps in preseason, it seemed like. Uh, he dealt with a couple of injuries. They didn't have a real big game from what I read against the Bears. But w- what is your take on Sammy Watkins? Are, are, are the Bills fans happy with the price they paid to go up and get him? Um, you know, a lot of people were down on that at the time, saying that that's a move that a, a contending team that's only a player away would make. So, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'm sure you like the player, uh, but just kind of how that process went. <clears throat> yeah, you're absolutely right that fans almost universally love the player. He has been as advertised uh, when healthy this, this preseason, and, you know, he's still working through a rib injury. It lingers, um, but he, he played more snaps than any other receiver last week. He only missed three snaps throughout the game, and, you know, between he and Robert Woods and Mike Williams, they have a nice uh, trio of receivers that can kind of hurt defenses at every level. Uh, they're all go-up-and-get-it guys that can high point, that can make plays after the catch. It's really a nice mix and uh, a group that, that Manuel can progress with. As for the trade, I would say that the vast majority, if not just everyone, is, is kind of still blown away that the Bills would make that sort of trade. They, they don't, they're very conservative usually, typically on draft day, and you know, that's that's a trade of historic proportions in terms of, you know, just the, the history of the franchise. And I would say mostly people are, you know, still upset that they're not going to have a first-round pick next year. The, the general feeling is that they're not quite to the level of, you know, being a consistent playoff contender. Um, they're certainly talented, and maybe that next player, that next first-round pick could have put them over the top. Um, they don't have that opportunity anymore, so they need to be right about Watkins, and uh, they they are so far. But uh, obviously, you know, for the rest of his career, at least for the early portions of it, it um, he's going to carry that that weight of needing to meet that expectation of being essentially worth two first round picks. Yeah, and given the situation with with Josh Gordon and. Cleveland needing playmakers. I was surprised that they they dealt that pick away when he was right there. Um, and, and since they had a, a, a another first round pick that they could have used to get the, you know the quarterback, it, it just kind of surprised me. So uh, another uh, question I have is I know that um, that he lost Jerry Spurd in free agency, and he was a you know big time part of your defense. Um, he wasn't really necessarily. I don't think he was replaced in free agency, as far as I know. I think, from what I remember, he was replaced with in-house options. So, how how is that going? Are you throughout training camp and the preseason, and even in the, the Bears game? Are are you pleased with how the secondary's played without Bird back there? Um, and um, I guess I'll tie in the other question that I mentioned last night was that um, I, I thought of that in your side that Gilmore practiced fully. I know that he was dealing with a groin injury, so um, what's going on with him as well? Well, Gilmore was a full practice participant today. Um, he did that last week on Wednesday, too, so we're still kind of waiting to see mode with him. Um, he was questionable last week. He worked out pregame. He was a game-time decision, and he just couldn't make it. Um, ideally, obviously, the extra week of rest will, will get him over the hump this week, but he – you know, he might not be 100% unless he can keep, you know, full participation for the rest of the week. As for the safety position um, and, and the secondary on the whole, I mean, Jay Cutler threw for 350 yards last week, completed 34 passes, and they're very much in bend but don't break mode on, in that phase of the game. Um, I would say that Bird, as well as the loss of Kiko Alonso, has really crippled their ability to make plays in, in the defensive backfield. Um uh, Leotis McKelvin got picked on unmercifully by the Bears last week. He was the top corner going into the game, and I think he gave up, I, saw, I think I saw 10 catches for 130 and 40 yards. It was pretty brutal. And, uh, you know, their linebackers gave up 
10 to 12 catches as well between between the uh, the three starters. So th- those are the weak areas. I mean, they their safety spot is pretty good. Aaron Williams, who was limited today, he has concussion symptoms. He may not play this weekend, but the, the hope is that he will make it, of course. Um, he's he's a really good young football player. They gave him a, a contract extension this offseason. He's the top safety now. He had a really good year in 2013. And then uh, – Denora Searcy, who's been with the team for four years now, he's the new starter. He's replacing Bird in the lineup. He's competent, not great, limited athlete, uh, especially in terms of, you know, just trying to replace the range that Bird had on the back end. Um, but, you know, and uh, it doesn't make a ton of mistakes, which which helps. And then they have a second-year guy who was a fourth-round pick last year out of Nevada, Duke Williams, who they're working into some, some nickel and dime packages. And uh, he's looked pretty good, uh, really good athlete. Kind of like just like Aaron Williams, almost in fact. So uh, they they have good young players there. They do miss Bird, I think, just because he was a playmaker, one of the better playmakers in the league at the position. But uh, they're doing okay, and uh, their their weak areas right now are McKelvin and the uh, especially the linebackers. Now you said that they picked on McKelvin, uh, and they threw a lot, of, uh, put up a lot of yards. Do you, do you think that possibly was a, a byproduct of just Chicago having? The, the bigger physical receivers and Marshall and Jeffrey and Bennett. Um, and the reason I ask is obviously Miami has more, uh, you know, they have speed and Mike Wallace and they have, they have some good tough receivers, but they're not really big guys. Um, I think Brian Hartline is the tallest guy at uh, six, one or six, two. So, I mean, do you think that played it? Was that a major part of it? Or is it, was it he just getting beat because of, you know, they had a guy yeah. that was, Beating him skills-wise. I, I think that was the key factor. Um, McKelvin is not the biggest guy. I think he, he's 5'10 or 5'11. Um, he's a good player. He, he's plucky. He's a really good athlete, but he just does not match up well against players like that. Um, Marshall and, and Jeffrey ate him alive. Jeffrey got hurt partway through the game, which which helped their cause a little bit. Um, but, I mean, they, they matched up pretty well against Antonio Holmes, who is more of a, a Dolphin-sized receiver, let's say. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Chicago's got one of the better passing offenses in the NFL. Huge matchup problems pretty much across the board. And, uh, you know, Miami's got a good, a, an improving offense, but they're not at Chicago level. So, you know, McKelvin's vulnerable at this point, but, you know, I, I, clearly we're expecting an upgrade from, from giving up 10 catches in one game. And I have one, one more question about your defense. I know last year you had, um, I'm not sure if it's, or Pitton, I can't remember how to say it. But you kind of had a more of a hybrid defense, and I read this year going back to more of the um, standard 4-3. Um, how how did that look against the Bears? Were, did you see any kind of hybrid fronts? Was it mostly 4-3? Um, how, how did your pass rushers look um, in that in the, in the new defense? Because, you know, obviously that was the issue with Miami last year. Brought in Brandon Albert drafted Juwan James in the first round. So, you know, that's a key factor that Dolphins fans are looking at. How how are how are your guys going to match up against – how is your front going to match up against our front? Well, I mean, again, we're talking about they matched up against one of the better offenses in the NFL. I mean, I haven't even mentioned Matt Forte's name yet, and he was awesome in that football game as well. Um, there's still a lot of the same front seven players, the three Pearl Bowl defensive linemen. But they are they are they're a four they're a four three defense now. They will throw in the wide nine alignment that Jim Schwartz is famous for. Um it's not as exotic a defense in terms of how they dial up blitzes. So you will not see as many of the overloads that you saw Petten dial up with the Bills and his hybrid defense last year. But uh they they got ten or twelve pressures on Jay Cutler. They only stacked him twice, but Cutler isn't gonna be sacked a lot in the within the context of that Bears offense. They get the ball out of his hands pretty quickly. Um, you know, they're they're still good. Um again, their their big vulnerability is is in the passing game, specifically at that second level with the linebackers. Um that's where they need to improve the most and they're still trying to work on their run defense as well. They gave up almost five yards of carry to Forte and uh that that's been an issue that has been long standing in Buffalo. So we are we're going into this weekend quite wary of uh, of Noshan Moreno and Lamar Miller because that's 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 still a weak point for the Bills and they're they're supposed to be better against the run. They looked excellent against the run in the preseason, but the Bears had that number a bit on Sunday. 
Hey, we're talking with Brian Galliford from Buffalo Rumblings, getting a preview of the Buffalo Bills matchup this weekend with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Brian, obviously the big news right now up in Buffalo is nothing to do with on the field, but is all about the fact that Bon Jovi is not the owner of that team. And I want to say that I know you know it from our five questions conversation already, but I want to say I want to point out I have not made one single pun of Bon Jovi yet tonight. But talk about the sale. Um, obviously, the good point is the Bills are staying as the only team in New York. So go ahead and talk the sale, how how the news is being uh, received up in Buffalo and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, you can imagine how it's being received. It's been probably about a decade at least now where, where fans have been concerned about whether or not the team would be in Buffalo long term after Mr. Wilson passed away. And obviously that happened back in March and – it's been, you know, a six-month run of will they, won't they, and uh, Bon Jovi kind of became public enemy number one because he was the face of that Toronto group, the only really group that we're, we were aware of that was, you know, probably going to move the team. So that's how that all all uh, came about. But uh, it really, for several weeks now, probably a full two months even, uh, Terry Pagula, the, the guy who ended up buying the team and with his wife Kim, they were sort of the front runners. Um, they have been heavily invested in the Western New York area for years now. And, uh, you know, that just continued with their insanely <laughs> high money purchase of the bill. I, I, that's the thing that, that's sticking with me is the fact that they went for, you know, reported, we don't know the exact figures yet. It's not nothing official, but the figure is $1.4 billion, which, I mean, you guys know how much the Dolphins sold for a few years back. Steve Ross, it was, $1.1 billion, and that came with a stadium in, you know, Erie County up here in, in western New York. They own Ralph Wilson Stadium, so Pagula bought that team without a stadium, and it's, you know, at a $300 million increase from the, the richest the richest uh, sale in, in NFL history. So <laughs> that's what's sticking with me today and probably will be for the foreseeable future. That's just a crazy amount of money, not anything I expected. Um, but, yeah, you know, I would hate to be a Dolphins player coming up to Western New York this week because Jim Kelly is cancer-free, and they're going to be honoring Mr. Wilson uh, before the game, probably at halftime maybe. Um, and, and you know, just add this Pagula news on top of it, it's going to be an absolutely crazy Sunday in Orchard Park. And then, sadly, we'll end all the celebrations. But that's okay. <laughs> that would I mean, that would be fitting for the Bills. We've seen that happen quite a bit. Uh, we, we've seen that mood-killing defeat, so – you guys did go and get rid of your Dolphins killer. I mean, Thad isn't yes, there. Yes, Thad Lewis. Thad, no Thad. more Thad Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> but, you anything else like that? So we had a celebratory fan shot when that happened. We did. It was, <laughs> oh, you guys. Yeah. No, he had your number last year. God. Thad Lewis somehow beat the Dolphins twice last year. God, I could have, I could have, I could have been okay with EJ Manuel and said okay, but it was Thad Lewis. It wasn't even your starter, and somehow it happened. Well, <laughs> that and that and Philip Wheeler missing tackles, but you know. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because we you know this there. is Manuel's this is Manuel's first start against the Dolphins. I'm pretty sure he only made one against the Patriots. He definitely only made one against the Patriots last year. Uh, I know he started both Jets games, so this is really his only his fourth AFC East game. So that that's an interesting dynamic to talk about going into the game because you know Manuel only has still only has 11 starts under his belt, and uh, I think he's won five five of those as a starter. So uh, it, you know he hasn't seen that Dolphins defense, which is quite good before, and uh, you know the, you know playing in the AFC East is a completely different animal. And uh, I'm curious to see how he responds, even you know, even knowing that he's going to be in a home stadium that's highly supportive this week, and uh, you know, we don't have to go to Miami first like we did last year. So I'm curious to see how he responds to the situation. It'll be a, it should be a good game. I know one of the Dolphins beat writers, if I'm correct, it was Andrew Abramson, but one of the Dolphins beat writers today was writing about how this game, like the Dolphins fans, obviously. Our transition from we hate the Bills, everybody hates the Jets, and that, that's our main focus. And then we hate the Patriots because, obviously, the Patriots are number one. And the Bills are third out of three right now on the level of hatred among Dolphins fans. 
But Bills fans hate the Dolphins and will always hate the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. And that was his article was about that and how <laughs> this game, it, it, it's early. It's not to that level yet, but it feels like the first step back to that 1990s rivalry where it was hatred between Bills and Dolphins. And if it got back to that, I would absolutely love it because, one, it would mean the Patriots are in demise. And, two, there was something special about that Bills-Dolphins rivalry that we don't have anymore, and it would be amazing if that came back. So here's hoping EJ's yeah, I mean, the right guy. Here's hoping Ryan Tannehill's the right guy, and we can get that back. Yeah, yes, that, that's me. what it would mean is that, is that the quarterbacks are good and the teams are good and that the series <laughs> has actual – honest to God stakes. That's, that's what's been missing. I mean, we have kept up the facade of, of a rivalry over these years as both teams have intermittently or in Buffalo's case, always struggled. Um, so yeah, it would be great to get back to that animosity that, that, you know, laced that series between two really excellent organizations back in the nineties. Duke, you were going to say something? I was going to say, yeah, I mean, to me, I've always hated Bills worse than, than the others just because of, you know, those games from back in the, the 90s. You know, just you had Dan Marino kind of winding down his career, and they took chances away from him. And, you know, for me and my, my you know, particular demographic, that that's what I remember more than Jets games or even now that the Patriots are there. I still remember – you know, those Bills teams that went to the Super Bowl and all that, and that should have been Marino's time, in my opinion. So, yeah, to me, that animosity is still there. Maybe not with all the fans, but, you know, I've always just remembered that. Bills went to a lot of Super Bowls. They didn't come away with any rings. I'm just saying. Brian's going to go cry now, but it's okay. Yeah, I was enjoying that little anecdote. I was kind of feeding on <laughs> feeding on his sadness, and then he just had to ruin it. <laughs> hey, it's okay. We're still we're still happy about our forty four year ago undefeated season. So hey, more power to yes. you. Yeah, hang on to that as long as you can. <laughs> but well, I did tell Brian or ask Brian if he would come on for about fifteen minutes, and we're pushing half an hour. So. Duke, any last thoughts with Brian before we let him go? Because I'm sure he has other things to do than talk to a bunch of Dolphins fans all night. I'm good. Well, Brian, thank you very much. Um, you have a good night, and hopefully we have a good game on Sunday. Agreed. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. That was Brian Galliford, the managing editor over at Buffalo Rumblings. You can follow Buffalo Rumblings on Twitter at Buff Rumblings. It's B-U-F-F Rumblings. Uh, you can also obviously check out their site, buffalorumblings.com. Recommend you go over there and join it as early as possible because a lot of the SB Nation sites lately, we've been hit with a lot of spam. So most of the sites have gone to a one-day, 24-hour waiting period. So if you are going over to Buffalo Rumblings or any of the Dolphins sites this year or any of the Dolphins opponents' sites this year, recommend you go do it now. Just go join it. You don't have to leave a comment. Just hit the join in any post that they have, and get your 24-hour waiting period out of the way. It lets you get in there and talk during the game. Ask that you don't pull, but just giving you a way to be able to talk Dolphins and Bills or Dolphins and whomever throughout the season. So, Duke, your thoughts on the Bills game coming up. Uh, How do you see it going down? Where do you think the Dolphins have their strength, and where do you see the Dolphins maybe having some problems? Well, after the game Sunday, and I was still, you know, uh, still on cloud nine from that, I had to remind myself, last year, the Dolphins played a big game against the Patriots at home, beat them. Next week, went into Buffalo and played like they didn't belong on the same field. So, it's one of those deals. I think we match up well against the Patriots. We don't match up near as well against the Bills. So, I think it's going to be a close game. As much as I want to talk myself into thinking that Miami's going to get out to a big lead, quiet that crowd down, set up a bunch of touchdowns, I'm also preparing myself for the fact that it may be, you know, a a low-scoring kind of defensive affair uh, with two good defenses. As far as the Dolphins' strengths, I think what 
Brian mentioned was their secondary and their linebackers are their weakness, and I think that's where we're going to get them is, you know, if, if Gilmore can't play at 100%, they're going to have to use a safety over the top of him, probably going to have to anyway on Wallace. I don't know that they have anyone that can match up well against Charles Clay. I think Deion Sims will try to redeem himself from that bad drop, uh, play well. Uh, they use Gator Hoskins some. I think we're going to see Jarvis Landry and some of those other guys. I think Miami's just got enough weapons that they can attack the weakness of the defense. The big question mark on offense is, of course, can they hold back that front four? <clears throat> now, we looked great against the Patriots. They had a Vince Wilfork, who was not at 100%. Chandler Jones is okay, but I don't think he's as good as Mario Williams. And then some guys. You know, their their front four is, is very good. And so <clears throat> the question is going to be, who's going to, who's going to handle Kyle Williams? Does he get double teamed? Does Marcel Darius get double teamed? Is Juwan James going to be able to handle Mario Williams? <clears throat> I think we might see a little more pressure on Tannehill this week. I also think we're going to see a little more rollouts, uh, design rollouts, um, scrambles, possibly some read options to kind of limit that. Uh, Tannehill didn't run any, as far as I remember, this past week, um, at least not design runs. So they'll try to counter that. On defense, it's got to be stopping the run. I mean, we're throwing out Jason Trusnick, Jelani Jenkins, uh, Kelvin Shepard. I liked him in the draft when he came out, but, I mean, he's been a team less than a week. Um, Chris McCain's hurt, but he's not, you know, he's more of a pass rusher at this point. So we're just kind of throwing out guys out there, which, you know, if you read a lot of Twitter and stuff, a lot of people are like, well, it can't be worse than what we had to start with anyway. But I think Cole Misi was playing well the other day before he got hurt. Um, and he's good at stopping the run. So if we can stop the run, then I think we'll do all right. If they start running, you know, getting four, five, six yards a pop, it's going to be a long day for the defense because, you know, they're going to do that. And like you said, they're going to continue running the ball, whether or not they do it successfully or not. And if they are having success, they're just going to drive it even more. So, yeah. And um, so that, that's, that's the weak spots on offense and defense that I'm concerned with. But I think on offense, uh, and I, I, I do believe on the strength on defense. But I, don't, I don't know that um, I don't know that they have the offensive line that's going to handle the defensive line that we're going to throw out there. I don't believe Chantrell Henderson is. Uh, I, I don't see him or any really any right tackle handling Cam Lake one one. And I don't know what Bill Belichick was thinking throwing a tight end slash fullback or whatever out there to block him. That was just dumb. Um, I don't think they're going to do that. So I probably expect to see him get double teamed a lot. But I think we're going to generate some pressure. He's a very mobile quarterback, unlike Tom Brady. So, you know, we got to contain contain him from getting out of the pocket and picking up big yards with his legs. But um, I think that's going to be our strength, and I like our secondary chances of shutting down their guys. So it's going to be a fun matchup. It always is. And, I mean, last year, going into that last two weeks, I was much more concerned with the Bills game than I was the Jets game. I mean, yeah, we laid an egg against the Jets, too. But still, I was concerned about that Buffalo game because I know – they did not – I mean, they had our number. Uh, you know, Bad Lewis notwithstanding, they just had our number. We couldn't do anything against them. I think we're better this year, and I think we will, but it's still going to be close, and hopefully my nerves will be able to handle it. I think you're right. that The, the biggest issue is that this, just, this game does not match up well with Dolphins, and for some reason, just like, just like the uh, Patriots, the Dolphins always <clears> match up well with the Patriots. Do they always win? No, obviously they don't. But they match up well. It's usually a close game. With the Bills, it's the same thing. The Bills, even if they end up going 1-15 this year, that one win could be against the Dolphins just because they match up well. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad team going 1-15, but I'm just saying that if that's the way their season broke down, they match up well with the Dolphins for some reason. And it's... It, it is a threat for Miami. Um, I think you're right. I think that the, the trick is going to be how well does Miami stop the run. So go on, Duke. I was going to say, another thing that I uh, liked from the, the, the game last week was I think we outcoached the Patriots. Um, <clears throat> we took away what they did well. And that is a good sign in my opinion because it's one thing just to have talent and just overpower somebody. But 
the way they the way they won shows a lot of, of coaching, shows a lot of adjustment. And if they can do that against Buffalo, see they didn't do that last year. I mean, you saw well Nickel Roby came off the came off the edge as a slot corner, got two or three sacks. They never adjusted for it. It was like they they didn't even care or something. I don't think you'll see that this year. I think you're going to see. I like what Coyle did. I like what Laser did as far as making adjustments and things. So I think that's going to bode well for Miami. And and if the offensive line holds up in pass protection, I, I think we I think we've got the the, the weapons to take. But those are still big questions. So. Hey guys, this is Kevin Nogle, the managing editor of the Finsider, just resetting you, letting you know what's going on. I'm with Duke, and he's doing all the talking with me right now. And James is floating in the background somewhere, uh, doing the producer type thing, fielding calls. Want to go ahead and open up the phone line? Probably take your calls here in the next ten minutes or so. So if you want to get on the air, it's three four seven three two six nine four six one. Give us a call, uh, James. And- get you lined up so that I can get you on the air and talk anything you want to talk. Dolphins, Bills, Dolphins, Patriots, Dolphins. We can take NFL news. Obviously, the big news around the NFL is what's happening with the did they or didn't they see the video before they uh, suspended Ray Rice with the two-game suspension and then come back later and make it an indefinite suspension. So there's all kinds of things to talk about. If you want to give us a call, it's 347-326-9461. So since since we've spent 35 minutes or so talking bills, let's go ahead and switch gears, go back to last week and talk about Dolphins-Patriots. Miami comes away with a 33-20 victory after trailing 30, or a 23-10. 20-10. There we go. 20-10 at halftime. Come out with a 23-0 second half to win 33-20. Got it that time, I'm pretty sure. May have misspoken it again, spoken it again, but whatever. Uh, come away with the dominant second half. First half, I think that the Dolphins played okay. I think, obviously, the three turnovers killed them. And I don't think that any of those turnovers were indicative of a systematic problem. I think it was three turnovers on three straight possessions that happened to, happened to be three straight in a row. But... Obviously, you can't do that against the Patriots to survive, yet somehow the Dolphins did. And they came back in that second half, and they just took it to the Patriots. And Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and the Patriots didn't have an answer. I think the biggest thing defensive-wise was throwing that 5-2 at them. I don't think the Patriots were ready for a 5-2 look. And Miami stood up Cameron Wake. They stood up Olivier Vernon. They stood up Chris McCain when he was in there. And they said, you know what? We're going to come at you. We're not going to tell you where it's coming from. And we're going to let our three big guys at defensive tackle just shove your offensive line around all day. And I think it worked out well for Miami. Yeah, that um, they, they did what you have to do to beat Tom Brady, is generate pressure from your defensive line. If you start blitzing guys or having to send more than more than traditional uh, set of rushers, he's going to eat you up because that's that's what he's done for years. They were able to generate pressure with the front four, and not just the four sacks from the end, but uh, Jared Odrick had him wrapped up and he was able to throw the ball away. Uh, Starks was in the backfield several times. Uh, Earl Mitchell was getting pressure. They were just all over that offensive line. That offensive line could not handle Miami's defensive line. It, it, you know, all, a lot of talk always is about playmakers and quarterbacks and stuff. Really, football's one there in the trenches. And <laughs> Miami won on a day for Ryan Tannehill wasn't 100% sharp. He played better in the second half. The first half wasn't as good against one of the better quarterbacks in history. And the, the better quarterback lost the game because his offensive line could not hold up against Miami's defensive line. And what that allowed Miami to do is drop seven into coverage. Sometimes they would drop eight and just rush three. And he had nowhere to go with the ball. And one of the aspects that I've, I've read about today is that they would take away his underneath. And I've been saying for a couple of years now that I thought Tom Brady's deep passing was, was dropping off. And he's still very accurate and sharp on the short to intermediate, but his deep passing is not as sharp. 
And that was all on display Sunday. I mean, I think they said over 15 yards passing, he was 2 of 18. I mean, if Ryan Tannehill came out with a 2 of 18 day like that, I mean, fans would be calling for his head. And we know how that is. Yep. But that's how Tom Brady was. 2 for 18 or something like that on passes over 15 yards. And Miami basically said, look, we're going to dare you to beat us deep. I mean, during that, that last drive, um, I mean, they, Brady just kept lobbing it up to LaFell against uh, Will Davis. But that, that's what they were giving them. They said, look, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us with that deep pass, but you're not getting these underneath thinking dunk routes where your slot guys and tight ends and stuff are going to eat us up. They took that away, and they didn't have an answer for that. And on defense, I think part of it was the weather. You know, that heat and humidity just wore that defense down. But, you know, the offensive line just moved their, their defensive line off the ball. I think most people were expecting Will Fort to get the better of Samson Fatelli. And it was the other way around. Um, Brandon Albert just had his way with Chandler Jones. There was one I was watching. I rewatched the game on DVR the other day. And there was one play where Chandler Jones uh, tries to get by. And Brandon Albert pretty much just shoves him off nonchalantly like, dude, you don't, you don't belong in my league. He was just so funny. And considering what we saw last year with the offensive line, that was just a breath of fresh air just to watch them, for lack of a better word, bully the defensive line of the Patriots. I know, uh, James, you missed the early, early part of the game, missing the first few plays. Uh, Did you make it in time for the punt block? I did. Okay, so that's about where you came in the game was right as they were finishing out. That yeah, three and I out. came in. I came in. Yeah, I came in the play before that. So I saw. I saw so, basically the whole game. Okay. What 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 were your thoughts on it? And since uh, you've been silent the whole show, I figured I'd go ahead and bring you in a little bit. Um, I was happy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm I'm glad to see we could run the ball again. I think that's despite what some people say, you know, that you have to win with a pass. I think uh, we're, it's still a league where you can win rushing the ball. And, uh, you know, for example, this weekend, that's that's sort of Buffalo's weakness. I think if we go in there and uh, run it down their throats, we can kill them with that in the short pass game all day long. We don't have to worry about the, the deep pass. We obviously still struggle with the deep pass. I'm pretty frustrated about that. Um, some of that was on – Tannehill this week, but I think a couple of those were on Wallace. And Wallace came out today and admitted that the one where he, where the ball carried him out of bounds, he, he yeah. said, looking at the tape, that was on me. I, that ball was perfectly placed, and I just didn't get my feet down. So he even he even admitted it. I know we love to bang on Tannehill for having poor deep ball placement, but I do I. The one obvious one down the middle where I don't know where he thought he was throwing the ball. I don't know if he thought it was a fly route and uh, Wallace started running like a skinny post. I, I don't know. It just it was a horrible throw to nowhere. But that second one, the deep one into the end zone down the sideline, it did. It looked like it was a good throw, and Wallace just couldn't get that second foot down. Um, and, I have not gone back looked at that play and seen could he, I mean, was it a blatant he should have and he just stepped out of bounds or was it, I, I don't know how close it was. I'll have to go back and actually look at it. But he did say it was on me. I should have gotten that second foot down. It looked like he sort of swerved to the right when he should have just kept running straight. He should just he needs, he needs better awareness of where he is in relationship with the uh, sideline, basically. And he needs to catch with his hands. He body caught that. That is absolutely, yeah. That. By doing that, the, the catch it that way, it made him lean in, and that caused him to step in. If he catches that with his hands, he could have, he could have stayed inbounds the whole time. I mean, stayed, ran right out of the back of the end zone, never stepping out of bounds like that. And not to mention that Tennessee go through that one on the run from 40 yards plus. Yeah. That wasn't, he was standing in the pocket. He was being chased by Vince Wilford. Did not have time to plant through that on the run. So, you know, he, uh, the first the first deep pass was awful. That one was, you know, you can't ask for much better than that under that condition. He doesn't he doesn't catch with his hands, and I know that there are times where it, it's annoying to hear people talk about that. Oh, he needs to catch with his hands better. But when it comes to Wallace, 
it, it's absolutely true because you have a speed guy out there, and I don't know if maybe, just thinking it through right now, maybe he's so used to just running to the ball that it drops in front of him and he's used to just catching it in his chest and continuing running, but he doesn't. It is painfully obvious how much he does not catch with his hands. He tries to cradle that ball into his chest every time. To put to put that pass into another perspective, look back at the, um, I believe it was the Tampa Bay game and the Richard Matthews touchdown that was kind of in a similar yep. location. It was a different type pass. He caught that with his hands and was able to get his feet down. If he tried to catch that cradle to his body, he stepped out of bounds. And that's what happened. Wallace had Revis beat, and that was probably one of the worst times you'll ever see Revis beat. That was just that was just great. Well, but unlike he, he Ted, yeah, but see now Ted can beat him with speed. He just straight up went by him. Wallace could have moved on him. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's the thing. It wasn't like he just ran by him. He put that double move and Revis bit, and then it was gone. It was like, you know, you expect to see that from Will Davis, not Dale Revis. You know, so <laughs> anyway, but yeah, it was still, yeah. I mean, he catches out with his hands at the touchdown, and that's what's even crazy. We didn't even need that those points. You know, we could have put up 50 points on them. That would have been unreal. Yeah. It was uh, – go on, James. But how great is it that Bill Lazor was pissed that we didn't put up 50 points? Right. Yep. <laughs> That's, uh, that is absolutely 100% a good thing. Absolutely. Um, Never put that aside. I know he got um, – he got a lot of focus during the game for Tom Brady picking on him, but as you brought up, Duke, Will Davis, if you go back and look at it, he really didn't play that poorly. I mean, he wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination, but I think I, I read this somewhere, and I, I, I'm not 100% sure even where I read it or how exact it is, but it was something like, they targeted him ridiculously high, and he only allowed three passes to be completed, or something like that. I could be off, but like, it just at least I don't know, at least ten targets, if not more. Yeah, it was something ridiculous, <clears throat> and it was only like three. But the fact that it was over and over and over to his wide receiver, it made it look like oh, that Tom Brady's just surgically attacking Will Davis, and they weren't completing the passes. We just noticed it because. It wasn't Cortland Finnegan or Brent Grimes. It was obviously the weaker of those three. So, well, I mean, I wouldn't I, I deny that Tom Brady out, Will was, Davis was not that bad. Yeah, I, I wasn't saying he was bad. I was saying he made Oh, no, no, I know you. He to his side. I mean, they, that was obviously Brady's – he realized that was the weakest link, and he was going to attack it. It still was and not successful. Tom Brady's going to do every game. Yeah. And um, – the only catches I remember him giving up were usually where he was playing off coverage and it was a short route and he came up and made the tackle. It wasn't like he was getting beat badly. He was just, you know, that's just how it was. So I thought Will Davis did a yeah. very good job considering. David saw Jamar Taylor out there. He was on defending on Chapman one time and did a good job on the end. So it's <clears throat> nice to see those guys get out there and play well. Yep. I do think it'll be a little more dangerous the second time because if we haven't hit the uh, Rob Gronkowski is injured for the year stage of the season yet. Um, he'll, he'll obviously be healthier and be more involved. And there were some plays where you're like, why are they putting um, – I want to say Philip Wheeler, but that wasn't right. But why are they putting, like, Jelani Jenkins or even Will Davis on Rob Gronkowski? And you're like, this just isn't going to work. But – Hopefully by then Deion Jordan's back because we all saw Deion Jordan covering Rob Gronkowski last time, and I think that's probably the right move there. But I, I am not one of these people that I, I like, just to put this out there, I like Deion Jordan as a defensive end. I am not somebody who wants him changed into a linebacker, but at the same time, he has skills that you want your linebacker to have against a tight end like Rob Gronkowski. So, if you're going to tell me that you're going to throw him out there as the fifth off or defensive lineman and you don't know where he's coming, you don't know if he's coming, I, I, I'm good with that. But I do. I think that with the strength that he's added with 
his ability to just get after a quarterback. He, he's young. He needs time to develop. Look at Cam Wake. Cam Wake couldn't even make it in the NFL to start his career. It can take some time for a guy to develop into a good pass rusher. So moving him around, we could end up with the uh, with the Jason Allen effect of what position does he really play and he never gets into any. At the same time, you could end up with the Jimmy Wilson effect where what position does he play? He's good at everything. So there's options either way. I'm not saying that he has to play defensive end. I'm not saying he has to play linebacker. Being a being a jack of all trades type of defensive lineman hybrid is okay. Yeah, I mean, let, use what he does. Use his strengths to your advantage. If that means yep. if that means not letting him rush the passer, that's fine. You've got some guys that can do that. Um, I mean, right now we're not even talking about Terrence today yet, and that guy's not saying yeah. field yet. So we're talking about we got Chris McCain, Derek Shelby played well. He's a good run stopper. And you've obviously got Wake and Vernon. So you've got six guys that you're talking about that you can do damage with. And if you're having to guard one of those big tight ends and Deion Jordan's better at that than all of them, then let him do it. You've got other options. Don't try to pigeonhole him into one thing because that's what you want to do. You know, use your strength to your advantage. Let him cover those tight ends. And if, if, you if, you, if you're not facing a team that has, you know, the tight ends that you got to worry about, then let him get after the passer or – like last year against the Steelers, he, he he lined up as a defensive tackle, dropped back and covered a running back. That was Roethlisberger's checkdown option. It wasn't there. Cam Wake gets a sack fumble that we recover. Miami scores a touchdown. So, you know, using those kind of roles like that. We saw Derek Shelby do that. So I think once Jordan gets back, that this, the defense is going to even kick it up a higher notch. And yep. um, it's going to be very exciting. And I think they, what you just said is dead on accurate. I think last year a lot of people criticized Jeff Ireland for trading up to get Deion Jordan and then him never playing because it was a, oh, it was a waste of a draft pick. They don't even know how to use him. We saw it all this offseason. He's a 3-4 outside linebacker, and the Dolphins can't even find a way to plug him in. But once he gets back and he gets back into game shape, I think he becomes the ultimate weapon. You don't know where he's going to line up. You don't know how we're going to use him. You can play to his strength on every single play. If you're up against the Patriots and Rob Gronkowski's on the field, Deion Jordan suddenly becomes a spy for Gronkowski. If he's not on the field, suddenly Deion Jordan can attack Tom Brady from anywhere on the field. And I think that you'll see – the Dolphins, like you said, the Dolphins' defense will take another step once it has Deion Jordan as an option on the field. Yeah, that, you know, that, and, and he would help out at linebacker too. So I mean, you can use him anywhere. I mean, don't, don't just put it in a specific position. He's got to play linebacker or something. So forth. let him, you know, let it, let him do whatever. If you line him up at linebacker, great. Line him up at defensive end, great. Just. Use his, use what he does well to your advantage. If he's not rushing the passer as well, then let him cover or let him, you know, um, uh, worry about that kind of stuff, you know. Do what you got to do. Don't – I think we've seen that too much in the past is we've tried to force roles on the players and it doesn't work. You know, find out what he does. Use it to your advantage. And you, you, they've got guys that can get after the passer. That's not the problem, you know. He, he's a, he's a right. weapon there, but he's also a weapon in coverage um, at a linebacker position. So you you have something that you that Miami actually kind of lacks right now. Um, so you know, in my opinion, I'm, I'm not worried about whether or not he starts or what kind of actual position title he has. Just use him out there, what he does best. Yeah, or I you think can use I think in different ways. I mean, blitz him or something. I don't know. I think you're on there with what happens with him because we're we're all going to jump up and down if he's not starting because that's a magic word in the NFL and you expect the number three overall pick to be starting. But when when um, when Jimmy Wilson is no longer a safety and Rashad Jones is back and Deion Jordan is back suddenly this team has so much talent on the defensive side of the ball 
where only 11 guys can play. And suddenly you're going to have guys like Jimmy Wilson, like Deion Jordan, um, Olivier Vernon, uh, Terrence Bidet, uh Derek Shelby. These guys are going to have to be on the sideline at some point. I mean, Cameron Wake only played 60%, 62 I think is what the total was. Um, played 62% of the play this week, while Olivier Vernon played something like 95 or something around there. So you, you, you see it even there. They're taking care of the older body on the field and getting him out there and letting him be explosive on those plays. Do you think that it bothers him that he's not playing as many snaps as he used to? Maybe it does, but at the end of the day, when you have two sacks, two strips, three tackles, and are named AFC Defensive Player of the Week and only played 65% or whatever the number actually was, percent of the snaps, Maybe the Dolphins are onto something here, and they have the talent to back that up. When Cam wakes off the field, yes, they go down a little bit, but not to the point where there's absolutely no pass rush whatsoever. You add Deion Jordan to that mix, and the Dolphins are still going to be able to get after somebody like Tom Brady, even without Cam Wake on the field. And, and even if Jordan's not starting, I mean, to me, yeah. if people are upset that he's not starting, that he's not actually getting a start. That, to me, you know, I, I think they should care less about that than if he's out there locking down tight ends and running backs, getting past his defense. I mean, if he, he, he gets, you know, five or six sacks but has, like, ten passes of defense, I, I consider that a win because you're using him in a, in a role that works. I mean, he, he may not be getting after the passer as much, you know. Maybe that's not what a number overall pick does, but if you – Gronkowski out there, and you know Brady puts him down the seam, and Deion Jordan pass. That was a third down or a possible touchdown, and then a field goal into the touchdown. You know that that's an impact play whether he starts or not. So you know find a way to get him on the field whether it's officially a start or not, and just get creative. This defense has. I mean, when everyone when everyone is back, defense. Create devastating. It's wonderful. We're starting to lose you, Duke. You're fading out a little bit. Um, but talking or looking at that, the Dolphins started this game against the Patriots with three wide receivers: Mike Wallace, Brian Hartline, and Deion Sims. So, week one, Deion Sims is a starting tight or wide receiver for the Dolphins. Not really sure that that really means anything, but in the stats. It'll say start Deion Sims one. So, I mean that's Brandon Gibson, Javar, or uh, Jarvis Landry, um, Richard Matthews. Those guys aren't on the field. Uh, you're seeing weird things, and it does. And we saw it last year. There were there were weird plays last year where Michael Agnew was the starting tight end for that week because they went out in a weird formation. So even if he's not on the field the first snap and there technically is not starting, I think the Dolphins have enough talent at defensive end that it's going to be like defensive tackle where they have three guys listed as a starter for two positions because it doesn't matter. They're going to rotate these guys in so much. But we have yep. about last Go on, Duke. I would say last season, um, I'm – and the they, one of the receivers didn't get start because on the very first offensive snap of the season, no one cared about intercepted that pass and ended up on the one. I mean, they came out in a heavy package to get up. Yep. All three tight ends, who uh, and Clay got six plays. That I think we just lost Duke. Well, that's okay. Um, yeah, I think we lost Duke. Um, so we have about two minutes left in the show anyway. So just one uh, through real quick because I didn't have a chance to post it on the site today. But the Dolphins and Bills injury report did come out. Uh, Terrence today, Mike Pouncey, and Jordan Tripp are again listed as out of the game already. Uh, Chris McCain, Koamisi, Randy Starks, and Billy Turner all did not practice. Randy Starks was seen walking around in a – walking boot with a toe injury. 
the thought there is that he's going to be ready for the game, but it, it is at least a concern at this point. He hasn't missed a game since he came to the Dolphins. I don't expect him to miss a game here, but theoretically, he, he is a a at least a concern with did not participate in practice today. Uh, limited in practice for Walt Aikens, Charles Clay, Sean Moreno, Derek Shelby, Deion Sims, Mike Wallace, and Philip Wheeler. We talked Wheeler earlier. Mike Wallace, I think, will play even though he has this hamstring issue. He said that he tweaked it early in the game against the Patriots, and he essentially played the game on one leg. So that could also come in with the timing and exactly what Wallace and Tannehill were trying to do. But whatever the case, I think he'll be he'll play. He may not be 100%. Uh, Deion Sims with a neck injury. Derek Shelby with a knee injury. Uh, no, Sean Moreno has a shoulder injury of some sort. My guess is same thing is with Philip or with uh, Mike Wallace. They'll take it easy with him, and he'll probably play come Sunday. Uh, Charles Clay with the knee injury, same thing that he's had all year. And Walt Aikens with a hand injury uh, for the Bills. Did not participate were linebacker Keith Rivers and tight end Lee Smith. Limited in practice were safeties Jonathan Meeks and Aaron Williams. And full participation was cornerback Stephon Gilmore and wide receiver Sammy Watkins. Watkins is the interesting one because he's had a rib injury all year uh, since I think he injured it before the first preseason game. He says he's going to keep playing through it. It does not seem to be something that's slowing him down, but at the same time, it's something that's bothering him. Uh, he says it's probably about a month away from being healed. They, the um, Some of the beat writers for the Bills were saying that he's been in the locker room using a bone stimulator on his ribs, which is typically used if there's a fracture. So whether or not there is actually a fracture in his ribs, I don't know, but it's potentially there, and it's... It, it's got to impact him in some degree, especially if they start hitting him and someone like Jimmy Wilson is going to hit him as much as they can because that's what Jimmy Wilson likes to do. So you're going to see potentially Watkins have to come out of the game at some point just to rest his ribs. So it'll be interesting. But, uh, James, any last thoughts before we wrap up the show tonight? No, sir. No? Nice, quiet night for you? Just working the board? Yes, sir. Um, guys thank you very much for listening Uh, if you are listening to this later we are on every Wednesday night 9pm Eastern time talk Dolphins, talk their past game talk their upcoming game Uh, we also you can find us on iTunes if you're listening to this through Blog Talk Radio you want to download it onto your phone or whatever you can find us on iTunes just search for Insider Radio and it should come up right away it's also linked on the site if you want to find it that way. And there's lots of ways to talk to us during the show. We have a live thread up on the thing. You can always give us a call at 347-326-9461. Number never changes. And you can also hit us up on Twitter. All you have to do is send me a message at the Finsider, and you're good to go. You can always hit up uh, uh, James. Sorry, James, I was going to say Duke, but I was trying to get you. <laughs> you can always hit up James on Twitter also at Texas Cowpunk. I'm assuming that is still correct, James? Uh, Yes, sir. Okay. At Texas Cowpunk, hit him up there on Twitter. Uh, You can find Duke on Twitter at TheEarl007. And talk to us throughout the week. Anything Dolphins related, we love to talk it. We're always available. Uh, We may not hit you up right away, but we will get back to you if you have a good question or want to just talk. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week. Everybody have a good night. Good night. when you decided to drive drunk. There could be a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But that didn't stop you, did it? You knew you could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses. And you could possibly even lose your job. You were well aware of the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You were wrong when you said it was no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. This message brought to you by NHTSA.
Hi, I'm Mark from Marinda Safeway. We offer great savings on groceries, but did you know we also offer savings at the pump? Earn 10 cents off per gallon when you spend $100 at Safeway stores. Enter your phone number or swipe your club card at the register and earn points. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Maximum gas reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon and $1 per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com forward slash reward. This is Mark from Marinda Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tipney. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.